It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I think the key to winning a league like this is taking the singletons and hoping they work out and you get the ceiling out of those guys as opposed to the Alonzos or the Navas who, yeah, you know, they, they might get a little bit better, but honestly, you're probably not, you're probably not going to get that big season out of those guys. Episode 34 of Flags Fly Forever, a baseball prospectus fantasy podcast. I am your host, Brett Sayer, and with me, as always, is Mike Ginella and Mauricio Rio. Um, you guys all uh, you guys all survived the A's Royals game from last night and uh, are, are enjoying the, uh, the second wild card game this evening. <laughs> uh, the A's Royals game was, uh, that was that was the thing. I didn't think I was going to live, honestly. Yeah, that right. really was one of the best games I've ever seen. You know, I don't know if it was up there with, with game six, you know, in three years ago in the World Series, but it it's close. Yeah, I was I was not quite sure if I was gonna survive today after staying up obscenely late to watch that game and then uh then it was it was impossible to go to bed right when that game ended. So it was a it was it was an experience. It was a it was a shared experience. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Eric Hosworth though. No, that's my boy. That is everybody's boy. He's not. That, he's not a bust anymore. <laughs> no, that's that's America's boy now. I know. Um, so uh, we have a very special episode. Uh, in a couple of minutes, you will hear an interview with Steve Gardner of USA Today, who we will talk to about his um, his really. Uh, shocking and improbable comeback in um in the labor mix league that we've we've talked about all season so it'll be good to hear um someone else's uh perspective on a different team rather than hearing us uh go on and on about about our team although you'll get to hear a happy you'll get to hear a happy story from from labor mix for a change (laughs) exactly and we'll probably close out the show with a little uh reflection on our own but um 
We'll get the uh, housekeeping out of the way first. You can read all of us at baseballprospectus.com. You can find us on Twitter. I am at Dynasty Guru. Mike is at Mike Gianella. That's G I A N E L L A. And Mao is at MRubio52. Uh, you can reach us via email as a podcast at flagsflyforever at baseballperspectus.com. And uh, if you are listening to us on iTunes or the Stitcher Radio app, please rate and review us because it makes us feel good. So um, we are going to do that thing now where we uh, do a cut to something that we already recorded. Um, we just spent nearly a half hour on the phone with Steve. It was a uh, great interview. There's a lot of really good insights, so I uh, highly recommend you uh, stick around and listen to it. Um, so I am going to throw it off to Brett from 45 minutes ago and uh, enjoy the interview. Flags fly forever. Um, we have a uh, a special guest, a, a special uh, repeat guest. Actually, um, we would like to welcome in uh, Steve Gardner. Uh, you know him from USA Today, uh, and he just completed one of the more uh, improbable expert league comebacks uh, that we've seen in a while in uh, in labor mixed a, a league that. Uh, I guess technically Mike and I are in, although uh, not uh, not not quite so much in the second half. Um, so, Steve, welcome to uh, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Brett. Appreciate you guys uh, having me on, and I'm I'm glad that uh, something made this necessary. Oh yeah. Um, so we'll uh, we'll I guess we'll start we'll start from the beginning, um, and start the the beginning of the beginning. The first round of the draft at the beginning of the season, you took Clayton Kershaw uh, fifth overall. Um, and uh, obviously, despite the missed time at the beginning, he was uh, he was a big part of what your team was able to accomplish. L- looking back on the decision now and knowing knowing what you know about the injury, about the performance, how would, is it something that you would do again? And how do you think that pick uh, trickled down to the rest of your team during the draft? Well, I think the thing is, is that Kershaw is just so consistent. And at, coming out of last year, we saw all the, the or so many of the top hitters, whether it was Ryan Braun, um, Matt Kemp, a, a lot of those top hitters end up performing way below expectations. And when you, when you get into the first round and, and you want to have an anchor for your team, you want to have somebody that you can count on week in and week out. And 
it's not usually a pitcher. Uh, and I think just the fact that Kershaw has been so dominant and so great for really, uh, you know, his entire career that you have that track record to go on. And that's kind of what I was looking at. And, and I wasn't going to get one of the elite hitters because they went in the first four spots. And that fifth spot was really a, a turning point in, the, in lots of drafts this year. Um, and I looked, the more I looked at everything and said, uh, I need to get somebody consistent and somebody really good, Kershaw was the, uh, the guy that stood out. So that's why he was my pick in the first round at that number five spot. Now, were you nervous at all with the injury? Like, was there a point in April? Now, I know that, you know, we all figured, you know, I, I know, um, you know, at ESPN, um, Stefania Bell, you know, talked about this and said, you know, it's, it's not an arm injury, he'll be fine. You know, so it wasn't like you were worried about performance that way, but did you worry you'd come back and be rusty? And when it was mid-April, late April, did you look at your team and go, gee, you know, like I, I have faith in like Gio Gonzalez and, and Sonny Gray and, you know, C.J. Wilson before I guess he slipped. Did you look and go, gee, you know, I'm, if Kershaw only comes back and throws, say, a 2-8 or a 3, I'm going to be in trouble. Like, was that a concern for you at all, Steve? It was a little bit. And, you know, I, I'll admit that anytime your ace is out for a month, and, and when the original diagnosis, I mean, he, he pitched in the opener in, in, uh, in Australia and was fine. And then all of a sudden, this sort of came out of nowhere. And you always have to think about risk in, no matter where you are in the draft. And there wasn't a whole lot of risk with Kershaw. He'd never been on the disabled list before. But um, so, yeah, it, whenever something like that comes up, it does make you think, oh, gee, you know, pitchers always, you know, uh, it's going to happen to them at some point. And here I am putting my faith in, in this guy as my first round pick. And here it is. It, it's his time. And uh, so, yeah, that was that was a very nerve wracking thing because I didn't get a, a top hitter in that first round. And to, to have him come back. And I don't think even, you know, the Kershaw that we've we've seen in the previous four years as dominant as he was this season, may have been even more dominant than he's been ever before in his career. You know, it's like he's got another gear. And I was just looking for okay Kershaw, and instead, the last five months, I got the super great Kershaw. Yeah, he he was the fifth pitcher, and I ran this, you know, I think out of the 45 or so pitchers out in front of me who put up a sub-two in the non-dead ball area, he's the fifth guy to repeat a sub two ERA. And, you know, Bob Gibson, as great as he was from 1968 to 1970, was not one of those guys. So I think you're down on the head. Like, I think all of us thought, you know, I thought Kershaw would be great, but I thought I'd be looking at like a two, three, two, four, just because ERA is a tough stat. You know, it's a lot of averages thing. You know, you have the bad inning or you sure. have a, you know, an error or should be an error borderline rule to hit. And, you know, four or five runs come in, there goes your ERA. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, I was kind of my thing about Kershaw during the season. We all knew he'd be great. I, I think the repeatability is what we kind of, you know, all all wondered about. And you, you certainly won, without, won with that pick this year, without a doubt. It was uh, it was nice to be able to watch him and and be able to have him on your team as he was going. Uh, that that's that's one of the real pleasures I think of fantasy baseball is is to uh, to watch those great players do what they do best. Yeah, and speaking of uh, you know you mentioned before that you uh, you know you went with Kershaw partially because the big four hitters were were gone. Uh, so let, let's let's focus on 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 your big hitter because we. You know, in, in addition to taking Kershaw, which was you know talked about before the season, 
uh, we had gotten kind of the point with you, Steve, where uh, I, I think towards the end of March, uh, people would just kind of uh, stare at you whenever anyone threw Jose Abreu out on the table um, and just kind of wait, <laughs> just kind of wait you out. So uh, was Abreu better than even you would have imagined coming into the season? Because we we know you were extremely high on him before the year. You're right, and and I did not think that uh, that he was going to be as good as he was. Um, I, I thought that he might, you know, he might hit a lot of home runs. He might drive in a lot of runs. I like the ballpark. You know, obviously at the U.S. Cellular, not a bad place to hit. But the batting average, I think, is what really surprised everybody. And um, the fact that he could come in against major league hitters, the, the word was in, in spring training that, yeah, he's, he's got power, but he can't get around on the major league fastball. <laughs> and that proved to be uh, certainly not the case this year because he hit just about everything, you know, fastballs, sliders, curveballs, change-ups, anything. Um, he, he killed all of it. And uh, so, yeah, he, he certainly surpassed – I, I had no idea, but I know that we had uh, at USA Today, we had uh, a story on him like the day of come out in the paper, the day of or the day before the labor mix draft. And um, so I was really worried that uh, that people would read that and say, oh, you think you know something and uh, and might take him away from me. But uh, I was able to get him round seven, which, um, you know, looking back on it, I, I think if Kershaw was, was key number one to the win, then having Jose Abreu was probably 1A. Yeah, Abreu, Abreu was 7, Steve, and the other guy you got at 12 who was key was Victor Martinez. But I kind of want to segue into our, our next point. Um, your, your hitters, you know, you're, after Kershaw, you got Jason Kipnis in the second round. You got Justin Upton, who who I actually had in Tout Wars NL and, and was fine, you know, in the third round. But you got Matt Holiday, who was, you know, a bit of a disappointment, came on in the second half, and Elvis Andrews, who – it was kind of okay, but I think not mm-hmm. great. So I wanted to talk to you kind of about like your waiver pickups or your your fab pickups and kind of how you really managed to do a terrific job. You know, I think this is important for our listeners, particularly in a deeper mixed league. You know, I, I think in an only league, it's it's kind of the the team you make your bed with for the most part. You're you're stuck with. And in a, a standard mix, like a 10-team or a 12-team, you can churn and churn and churn. But I think there's a, a gift or a skill in a 15-team mix to kind of getting the right guys. So, you know, we know who they are, but just for the, the benefit of our listeners, who, who are some key acquisitions for you that kind of just, you know, were those difference makers that, you know, kind of turned your season from, you know, a good one to a, a title-winning season? I think one of the, the, the keys uh, to the season from a hitting standpoint was – Sometime in, in, I believe it was early June, I picked up J.D. Martinez, who the Tigers called up and, you know, were throwing him out there in left field because they didn't have anybody else that could play out there. And um, Martinez was a guy that showed a little bit of of life when he was in Houston, but then just sort of faded away. And um, he was still young enough. And what he did, he had a couple of clutch hits right when he came up and just worked his way into the everyday lineup there in Detroit. And getting somebody, you know, getting somebody like that who's an everyday player and, you know, the, the numbers that he put up from batting average standpoint and home runs and RBIs were, were certainly any more than, uh, than I could possibly expect. But just getting a regular 
on your lineup and, and into your lineup that you can count on and, and plug a hole because you're going to have guys that underperform to get somebody that can come in there and do the kind of job that he did from June, July, August, September. Um, I think that was, that was really big, and uh, that helped my offense a lot. Um, Ender Enciarte was another guy I picked up later in the year who you know, doesn't do a whole lot other than he steals a, a good number of bases. He gets on base and he scores some runs there. And you know, when, uh, when the, the Diamondbacks were uh, losing some of their offensive steam, he and David Peralta and some of those other guys you know, kind of picked up when Paul Goldschmidt went out and, and helped that offense and kept it afloat. So he was a big pickup. And then just some of the other guys uh, in terms of trying to piecemeal different players in uh, on the pitching staff. And I think that's where you, you talk about trying to stream guys. And, and if you hit on some, great. Um, you, know, you mentioned C.J. Wilson was one of my guys that I was depending on. Uh, I ended up getting Colin McHugh uh, up on waivers. And, and uh, while Wilson was, was scuffling, McHugh had a fantastic year. And it was just one of those, you know, I, I wish I could say I saw something in him um, that made me want to pick him up. But he was god-awful. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think may have been one of the worst pitchers statistically last year who uh, pitched in the majors at all. Um, I still haven't figured out how he was able to turn it around. But, you know, a pickup like that, keep the guy and, and not drop him after, you know, maybe he has a bad start. I think that's that's yeah. one of those things where you just say, yeah, I, I guess I did okay with that well, one, but not uh, through any, you know, amazing uh, brain power of my own. But, but again, I do think, you know, this is – you hit the nail on the head with McHugh in particular – in an only league, you just stick with a guy like that because often, particularly if you're, you're middling or in you know middle of the pack, you're like, well, what choice do I have? I, you know, who am I going to pick up? You know, I might as well hang with him. It, it is in a in a mixed league where you're kind of like, huh? Like I, I know the stats are good, but if I don't have a good scouting feel or if, if I'm not really sure what this guy's going to do, you know, what what do I do? Like, and and that's where I kind of you know I know what you're saying. It's it's luck in some ways, but th- there's definitely a skill, and maybe it's not a skill a scouting skill. There's kind of having that feel or that acumen as a fantasy player where you're like, all right, like I, I just know from watching this guy or from seeing what I see in the numbers that I think it's going to be a good call. Like that to me is, is kind of in some ways on our side of the game as important as that scouting you know, acumen that I just mentioned. Yep, and, and it's, it's timing. Sometimes you know, if a guy has a, a good matchup, then that's what spurs you to pick him up when maybe you wouldn't if he didn't have a good matchup that week. And and uh, if that clicks, then you keep him on your uh, on your roster, and you maybe give him another shot. Roanis Elias was another guy for Seattle that I picked up that, you know, had some pretty good starts in there. And and if you can get to where you can match up some of those guys, you know, take them off your bench, put them in your lineup, um, and maximize the stats that you get from them, and give them the chance to succeed. I think that's that's a way to get you know those incremental. Uh, additions and, and maybe some extra standing points out of that. Yeah, so moving, I guess, moving on to a slightly different topic as, as you went through the season. I mean, um, we uh, obviously, uh, fa- almost famously for, for our listeners, uh, completely struck out with saves over the course of the, over the course of the year. And uh, on the other hand, your, your team, was uh your team sort of transformed itself from uh 
from someone who was who was weak in, in saves. I think it it looks like probably around a month and a half into the season, you may have been even without a without a closer at that point before uh, before Melanson got the job and after Balfour kind of fell apart. Uh, but you were you were able to uh, to to put uh, to put enough back together to uh, to to make some movement there without going too crazy on the on the fab. So you know how um, how do you sort of what was your strategy when you saw that things weren't well, quite working out as well for you as you you wanted heading out? Yeah, um, saves is one of those weird categories, and you know some people have a very set way in in how they approach it. You know, if they want to get one close, you know, one solid rock solid closer, and then fish around in the uh, in the free agent pool during the season, I'm. I just I do that mostly by feel. That's the one you know one area that I don't have a particular strategy. And in, in this draft, I think I had Grant Balfour as the uh, my first guy, my first closer. Didn't work out so well. Um, I do like Mark Melanson's numbers and and his peripherals. So he was one of the guys that I felt like had a very good chance to maybe move into a closer's role later on in the season. So that worked out really well for me. But yeah, it, it was it was a lot of picking up and dropping, and uh, it, it ended up. I think I was I was still toward the bottom, and I spent my last two dollars in fab on Drew Storen when he got the uh, the Nationals closer job, uh, and Rafael Soriano sort of abdicated, and you know picking up a couple of saves there just was is one of those things. Neftali Feliz was another guy that I picked up later, um, so it's it's looking where you need. Um, to make up ground and can make up ground, that's where it really pays to be aware of the standings. And I think, you know, in, in August and September, that was an area where I had a chance to move up a little bit. So that's where I put some of my efforts uh, in, in that category. So let, let's let's talk about the the comeback. Um, looking at looking at the standings on on the site. Uh, your team was 24 and a half points out of first place on September 1st. Um, have you, I guess, two-part question: Have you ever had a team that has has had a similar comeback in your in your many years of of playing fantasy? And if not, have you played in a league where someone has had this sort of comeback? I I don't think from that big of a deficit in that short of a time span. No, um, I've never seen that. I've seen great comebacks on the final week and, and the final day. Um, I know one of the labor races that an uh, AL labor, Jason Gray, formerly of ESPN, now a scout for the uh, for the Tampa Bay Rays, made a, a ridiculous comeback, like six or seven points on the final day um, to win labor. But in terms of that far back and jumping over. You know, three pretty good teams. I think it was in fourth place on uh, at the beginning of September, and just to jump over as many teams as I did, um, <laughs> that was that's what really uh, I still can't figure that out. That's what really stuns me because it, it just so happened that everybody turned in ridiculously good uh, pitching outings, had great weeks at the plate. You know, Carl Crawford came back and suddenly became. Carl Crawford of uh, you know four or five years ago, um, just everything came together, and uh, that's that's one of those rare things that it's hard to appreciate as it's happening. But after it after it has, you sit back and just say, "Wow, 
that was great yeah, to be a part of. You know, I, I like I've had two, I guess, big comebacks in my fantasy career, but you you hit the nail on the head, Steve. Both of them, in terms of points, it was you know much earlier in the season you know, where kind of the charge started. I can't remember having a team that was ever, I think the biggest comeback I've seen in a league, I mean, it wasn't me, was like maybe 10 or 12 points, you know, on September 1st, which is a big comeback. So it's really, you know, 15 teams, I know it's a few more teams, so there's more points to get. But, that, you know, to Brett's point, it's just amazing that you, you kind of overcame that gap. And honestly, and I don't know if you reached this point or not, you know, I'm sure you're paying attention. We all pay attention. You know, our... Our baseball prospectus team, you know, tanked, and, you know, we'll get into that after you, you know, leave. But um, when even when you're not in the running, you know, you're playing for pride, you want to do well, you don't want to – you'd rather finish, like, third or fourth and seventh or eighth. There had to be a part of you that as much as you were paying attention was thinking, well, you know, football season's starting. You know, I write about that for, for Sports Weekly USA as well you know, this probably isn't going to work out. You know, I, I have to – was there a day or a moment that came – because the other element of the comeback for me where you thought, you know what, I might actually have a chance here. Like, do, do you kind of remember that moment, or do you remember the timing of that? Yeah, I actually I do. Um, it, was, it was like the second week of September, and um, my team was, was starting to make a little bit of a move. And I was, I was looking at my Tout Wars team, which, which was doing pretty well. But um, this one was was in fourth place, and and I was just trying to see you know which teams as I'm going through waiver pickups and all that sort of stuff. I'm like, you know, this team has been pretty good. You know, and I'm looking at my lineup and and trying to figure out well who can I replace. And I'm like, well, you know, everybody's doing okay. I, I, I'm not going to make a waiver pickup this week, and um, it, it just sort of hit me. I, and I remember looking at the standings and seeing you know the weekly standings and say, hey, you know, I finished in first place for this particular week. That's not too bad. And then the next week, hey, I finished in first place for this particular week again. And then all of a sudden it just sort of was like, you know, if this keeps up, uh, and in fact it was funny because, uh, not so funny for Ray Murphy, but um, he sent a tweet out um, with like two weeks to go, and his lead, which was 10 or 12 points, um, or was even larger than that, had shrunk a little bit. And he said, hey, man, you're, you're uh, going to ruin my coronation. You need to stop that. And I, I told him, I, I, tweeted, I tweeted back, I was like, it's just a mirage, pay no attention to it. And, um, and it turned out that the, the gap was closing. I think I made up like seven points in the standings the next to last week and had gotten within three or four of him. And I never actually passed him until I think two days remained in the season. And to go ahead and see, you know, now I'm the guy that's being hunted. And you figure that because we see so many ebbs and flows in in this game, if you look at the daily standings, you just have the feeling, okay, well, here was my push, and then he's going to get one back. And, you know, the timing is going to be such that, you know, I figured Ray tied two years ago in uh, in mixed labor with um, uh, with Jonah Carey, I think, two or three years ago and it ended up being an actual tie, I figured, well, it's got to be one of those, you know, maybe that's, that's the best I can do is maybe a tie. And uh, it ended up being a half-point difference. Yeah. So, yeah, so I think uh, I, I, I just have one more question. And, uh, you know, it's something that, that we get asked a, a good amount. Um, 
and you know we, we've all we've all been playing for for a long time and despite the length of time that we play there's always I, I you know I find and we talked about this on the podcast so there's there's always new things to take away from every from every fantasy season so with with everything that happened in your 2014 mixed labor experience what's Above all else, what's the one thing that you are going to take away from this season uh, with you moving forward? Gosh, there were so many things that I, I think I'll take several things away. Number one is to not be afraid to go against convention and and do something like Kershaw in the first round. And uh, it seems like that to a all the experts, you know, you you put them all in in uh, in one room and say. Who's willing to take a, a pitcher in the first round? It's probably five or ten percent, um, or it would have been at the beginning of this year, if that. Um, so just be willing to think a little bit outside the box, if need be. Um, number two is to not give up on your team. If you've got guys that are healthy and are still playing, great things can happen. And there was one other thing too that it was in the middle of the season, it, it, and this is. Any trade that you can make to make your team better, go ahead and make it because you never know what the ramifications will be from that. And I look at the key trade, I made, and it's hard to trade in experts leagues for whatever reason, it seems like, but I made a key trade that was probably, I think it was June or July, right around the All-Star break, where I had a, a surplus in home runs and RBIs, and Jeff Erickson was looking to sell D. Gordon, who was doing you know great guns in the first half and stealing lots of bases. So he had an excess of steals, and so we got a, we had made a deal of, of Brandon Moss for D. Gordon, and it seemed pretty innocuous at the time, but what it did is it helped me obviously in stolen bases. And Gordon had probably 25 on my team, which made a significant difference in the stolen base department. And I still had, you know, Jose Abreu and Victor Martinez and Matt Holliday and Justin Upton. I still had enough power that I could go ahead and, and weather that. And, um, and so it ended up that I certainly got the, the better end of that trade as Moss went into a tailspin. But you, you go ahead and try and, and do something, make something happen, um, and you never know what, uh, what the trade ramifications will be because it set me up for being able to do other things with free agents and, and pickups and things like that later in the season. Great. Um, well, I mean, thank you uh, again for, uh, for joining us, being our, our first uh, repeat guest on, uh, on Flag Fly Forever. Um, you, uh, obviously, you can find Steve at, uh, at USA Today, and uh, you want to tell everyone where they can find you uh, on Twitter? Sure. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Steve A. Gardner, and um, you can look for all the stuff that we do, baseball, football, at uh, fantasy.usatoday.com. we got a, a new daily game to, out, so it uh, should be fun um, throughout the, uh, the rest of the year and into baseball season. Yeah, and if uh, if I don't if we don't talk to you again this winter, Steve, we'll uh, I'll see you in New York, and probably Brett will too in uh, in March for Tot Wars. <laughs> I'll definitely look forward to that. Even though even though we both fell short in Tot Wars, there, Mike, uh, I think we've got we've got our sights set on uh, one Mister Cockroft. Yeah, that's a you know that's a fun weekend too. Winter you know winter lose. <laughs> that Most it definitely. Is, yeah. yeah. 
So, uh, All right, guys. Again. Look forward to seeing you then. All right. right. Thanks, Steve. Bye, Steve. Thanks. Thanks for joining us, man. Welcome back to Flags Fly Forever. Uh, we hope you enjoyed that interview. Uh, now the rest of the podcast, uh, it is going to be the three of us as usually is. So we are going to uh, use use the, the interview with, with Steve as a jumping off point to do a final post-mortem on, on our labor mix team, uh, even though we kind of did a post-mortem about two and a half months ago. Um so yeah. it, clearly, we this was not the season that we set out to have, um, and a lot of that, as as you guys know, was due to uh, just a, a horrible streak of injuries, especially on the pitching side. And uh, then we decided to take some chances that didn't quite uh, didn't quite work out. Um, so I I want to throw it over to to Mike first. Um, what? I guess let, let's let's start on the positive side. What are what are a couple of positive takeaways that you that uh, that we can that we can bring into 2015 as we uh, as we attempt to uh, you know as we attempt to uh, win next year? Well, I I think two things. Um, first of all, I I believe that our our core, particularly our our core of hitters at the front, was was solid. Um, Hanley Ramirez wasn't great, but you had Giancarlo Stanton, who, you know, before the unfortunate injury right at the end of the season, you know, was an MVP candidate and, you know, a, certainly a fantasy MVP. You had Albert Pujols, who, you know, we definitely were higher on than just about everyone else, and that was definitely a feather in our cap. And you had, you know, Billy Hamilton and Jason Wirth, who, you know, Hamilton, even though he also stumbled in the second half, I think, and I know some people argue this is a topic for another day, I think we got out of him what we were expecting from a value proposition. So I, I think our core was really good on offense. You know, and, and the other funny thing, and, and this might sound funny given what happened with our pitching, but I think our pitching strategy uh, of taking, you know, Jose Fernandez, Alex Cobb, and then later, you know, Matt Moore in the 11th round, I liked the strategy. It didn't work. You know, but a lot of that was injury. And when you look at what Alex Cobb did after he came back, you know, I think we definitely had the right idea taking him in the ninth round. So I think a lot of what we did, and I still stand by this, was was really solid. I do think, and we can get into this, you know, a little bit. I think there's some things we could improve on, but the injuries we had, and I've said this over and over and over again, it's not an excuse, but, you know, I've played for over 25 years. I've never had a team with this many injuries. I don't think it's particularly close. No, we, you know, I I, I totally agree with you there. I, you know, I, I still do like our, our strategy, even, even our, even our closer strategy, I wouldn't have changed. I mean, it worked out terribly. Uh, We, we, we did finish the season successfully without a save. Um, So that's, that's, I think, I think we got a save from Batanzas, actually. Wait, we got a save? 
I when believe. We... Wow, this is breaking news Ooh. on the show. But I, I think we got a save from from Patanzas because I I saw one in the standings. Oh my god, we did get a save. We got one on, save. On a, on a related note, on a somewhat related note, uh, every single closer to me article I have written this year was secretly dedicated to your guys' uh, labor team. <laughs> Thanks. Wow. <laughs> Well, we, we can't wait to have you back on the beat next year, Mel. Uh, you know, I heard, I heard, I heard you wanted it back. Is, is kind of what the word on the street was. Really? Well, yeah. you heard wrong. <laughs> this is like this is like the Bugs Bunny cartoon where they're they're passing the dynamite back and forth. Or or it's you know duck season, rabbit season, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, so. Yeah, I mean, our our team finished with a whopping 12 pitching points, um, which is to be expected based on sort of our our strategy of sort of going for wins and strikeouts. And to be fair, wins and strikeouts were nine out of our 12 points. (laughs) Yeah. You you know, the things, and to tie to your point, Brett, I, I, I think that, where I would make improvements would definitely be on the margins. You know, it, it kind of would be, you know, maybe I think the closer strategy was fine, but I still might try to get a closer a little bit earlier. I, I think that the, the pitching strategy was okay, but I might try to get some guys, you know, even some young guys like with a little more upside than say, you know, Brett Anderson or Edwin Jackson on the back end. But, but these are all really you know, just quibbles. Like these are things that I, I think you can kind of improve as you go along. I I think the draft was fine. The other thing I might do a little bit differently. And I, I think this is definitely more a product of just the fact that we, we sunk like a stone is kind of what Steve was talking about. Just being a little bit more aggressive on, on the wire and a little bit more active. I I do think it's kind of tough to do that. I do think we got caught in the trap of, you know, players in the second half like Justin Morneau and Chase Utley, they they certainly produced year long. It's just tough in this format. You know, in a standard mix, you might look to replace them. In this format, it's really tough to say, okay, Chase Utley hasn't produced as much as he did the first six to eight weeks of the season. But who are you going to replace him with? You know, you're not going to throw somebody in there. And if you do, you're really talking about lightning in a bottle or very poor odds of kind of getting someone better. Yeah, and you know the the one thing that um the one thing that I'm, I'll take out of the draft which um you know is is something which we talked about a little bit before the show is that we we did make some riskier selections with our uh, with our draft picks and for the most part the riskier selections seem to have worked out way better than the uh, air quote safer selections that we uh, that we went with. So um, whether that uh, whether that leads to a little bit of a, a change in change in strategy next year, I think we'll we'll probably discuss uh, offline over the next couple of months. But uh, I personally, I will be more willing to uh, to take continued chances up and down the draft board for. Uh, going forward as opposed yeah, to and, uh, and I would actually agree with that like there, there's players that I, I kind of advocated for you know give us some examples like Trevor Plouffe, Yonder Alonso, Daniel Nava you, you know even if those guys had performed to their level of the year before they're just sort of placeholders they're, they're people that you're still kind of looking to churn and improve 
And if they hit their downside, like you know Alonso and Nav in particular did, you're looking to the, replace them. And again, in a deeper mix, it's kind of hard because the players who are you know, the ones that you're kind of hoping work out are usually taken. You know, we have one of those players in Jonathan Singleton who didn't work out, but I think you're absolutely right, Brett. I think the key to winning a league like this is taking the Singletons and hoping they work out and you get the ceiling out of those guys as opposed to the Alonzos or the Navas who, yeah, you know, they, they might get a little bit better, but honestly, you're probably not, you're probably not going to get that big season out of those guys. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm actually curious to throw this out, Mal. You're the you're uh, you've you've listened to us uh, ramble about this team <laughs> all all season long. Um, what 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 have you taken away from sort of watching watching us do this and really getting into the nuts and bolts of why we why we're we're doing all this? I mean, what's what's the what's the lesson that we are too close to this team to see? Uh, you know, and it's um, it, it's 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 simplistic and it's extraordinarily reductive. But the, the main overarching lesson that I've taken away from how you guys have constructed this team to how you've kind of executed, uh, you know, trying to cover for like uh, certain certain deficiencies in a couple of different statistical categories is that the baseball gods are incredibly cruel. Um, when when you think about it. But you got like pretty much an absolute zero from Joey Votto. Jose Fernandez went down pretty early with injury. Then you just didn't get anything in regards to any of your like your saves gambles, and you kind of just punted that like halfway through the season. A lot of the moves that you made, and when when I saw that those were the moves that you made, and, the, and those were the plays, I agreed with in process and in terms of like results and outcomes. They blew up in your face pretty big. <laughs> like it's, I mean, I, I I got building a rotation around Jose Fernandez. Like that that's I thought that was that was an incredibly smart move. I I got you know anchoring your offense with Joey Votto and, and making a lot of the the offensive you know draft picks and acquisitions that you guys made. It's just, I mean, like just put simply, like sh- you know, shit didn't work out, man. <laughs> like it's 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 just one of those things where it's like. I mean, what are you going to do? Like at a certain point in the season, when you're, you know, you're getting nothing out of the first baseman that you drafted pretty highly, and and your pitcher's dead. Like, I, I mean, I just it's it would it would have been it would have been tough to kind of recover from all of that. And it's just, you know, I yeah. I know it's simple, but that's that's really the overarching lesson that I I took away well, from that. What I would what I would say, you know, more than anything else, is that. For the most part, and I'm, I'm looking at the standings, and I, I see one notable exception. If you take a pitcher early, and then you don't take a pitcher for you know a few rounds, and Fernandez wasn't even early; Fernandez in the fourth round. But if you take a pitcher early, and he gets hurt, and he misses the season, or he misses a significant amount of time, it really makes everything else difficult. Because I still believe, you know, forget what Fernandez did before he got hurt. If Fernandez was healthy and say put up like a two five or a 2-7, and was that anchor, for, you know, struck out close to 200, was that anchor for us? It changes a lot of things because I think then we're kind of making some different moves. Maybe we're still in the saves game. You know, some of the reason we, we dropped out of saves was because we're like, okay, we need to fix our starting pitching. We can't waste our, our free agent money on saves. You know, we, or we have to set a timeline on this. So it, it definitely had a domino effect. You know, and I, I think, Matt, we knew, you know, we talked about this earlier on the show, we knew that at some point 
we were throwing, you know, Hail Marys or, you know, we were trying, it was a baseball analogy. We were trying to hit a grand slam or a five run home run every at bat. And we kind of knew that the outcome was more likely to be like, you know, toward the bottom than toward the middle. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's always, there's always decisions that, uh, that you can go back and, and look at and kind of second guess. And so the, one thing that I one thing I do want to talk about this isn't specific to our team. It, this I had a lot of fun looking at looking at this when I brought this uh, when I brought the draft board back up. I'm looking at the 17th round of the draft, and I'm I'm scrolling through, and literally half of these players did absolutely nothing. Um, and when I say absolutely nothing, I mean absolutely nothing. I mean the guys we took uh, we took Jesse Crane in this round, and he didn't pitch. Uh, other guys who there, it was him, um, Jared Parker, Brandon Beachy, and AJ Griffin were all taken in the seventeenth round. Derek of, Jeter was uh, taken in that round too, and yeah, and I mean, Avisal Garcia who died for most of the season, Dan Straley, who disappeared for most of the season. Um, and then right in the middle of the round is Michael Brantley. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, of course. Yeah. taken by, uh, by uh, Mike Podhorser of, uh, of fan graphs. So it's, it just, it looks really funny. And Ian Kennedy was also, was also in this round. Uh, yeah, Je- well, Jesse, Jesse Crane is where I, I went on to serious to talk about our team and he was taken while I was still waiting, you know, in that kind of gray area between when you're going to go on the show and then they play you in. So that that was – I'm not blaming you, Brett, but that was all you in terms of the pick because at that point I was kind of out of pocket for a few minutes. It was. And I, yeah. the, the philosophy of it I still, I still like. I still like backing, backing Henderson and Jones with another potential closer because we weren't um, – we were, we were pretty – we were pretty set on our on our offense at that point. We were we were yeah. happy with where we were going. We I think uh, well. Also, you know, it's funny. I, I in hindsight, you say I wish we had Brantley, but you know, Venable, Will Venable was my guy. I mean, he he's the guy I kind of I and I I put my money where my mouth was. I had him in most of my leagues, and I didn't think he'd quite repeat last year. But I I thought fifteen home runs and twenty steals is a realistic expectation. And you know, speaking of guys who died, I mean, he he just died. He he just was terrible. Yeah, though to the, to be uh, to be fair, you know, and I think uh, I was I was on the train, but not nearly as much as you were. Uh, you were also Justin Morneau was another one of your your guys who we had, who we had taken uh, the yeah. the pick before before Crane. So it was. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, we, were, we were on the same page with this draft. I, you know, this is the thing about you know Crane or Morneau or Venable. I, I think we were on the same page with most of this draft. I, I don't think we can really, you know, and yeah, you know, we certainly get along, but we, we're not. There was not a point like in the fourth or fifth round where we were fighting like, oh my god, you know, you want to take this guy, you want to take that guy. I, I think we were really, you know, in concert for most of this draft. You know, it isn't until the last few rounds where you're just kind of like, yeah. You know, it's a twenty-fifth round in a in a mixed league. Like, you know, who should I take? Kind of thing. You know, where we take Matt Harrison, it's like, yeah, you know, maybe he'll work out, maybe he won't. And you know, Harrison and Anderson was just kind of the beginning of that. You know, and, and keep in mind, this draft was early. I think it was late February. It was, Feb- it was February eleventh. It was even earlier. So, 
you know, you're making a lot of decisions in a February draft that late where you're just kind of rolling a die or flipping a coin. Yeah, and that that extends out beyond the draft. I mean, well, <laughs> realistically, I mean, we uh we are we are co-managers of a team that uh finished second to last. Um and the fact that uh we we had literally zero episodes of uh hey, Mike, you suck. Why did we do this? Why did you, <laughs> why did you why did you why did you pick up that guy? Why did you convince me to pick up that guy? You know, there's uh I think it I think it speaks to the uh I think it speaks to the you know the good the good nature of our uh, yeah. of our of our persons and our and uh, I think I think we I think we're good I think we yeah. balance each other out pretty but, well but, I think yeah I, I also I also think and this goes back to the Fernandez thing beyond the idea of him we've both played long enough and Mal you've played for a while too you get that vibe sometimes and when he went down. It was early. I had that. I didn't have the vibe we'd finish, you know, next to last. But I had the vibe of this is probably over. Like unless we somehow get lucky and get somebody, you know, like a McHugh, who who uh, you know Steve Gardner talked about in our recorded interview. We it, it was over. I mean, you kind of had to catch that lucky strike with a guy like that, and you usually don't. Yeah, that that was definitely that moment. And we, I mean, we talked about it on the podcast. That was it. Was it was a it was a straight straight shot to the gut. Just no 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 two ways about it. I think that I think that either happened when we were recording or the day before. I don't remember. I think it was happened like right before we recorded. Like the, yeah, the I think I think it, I think the news broke like two hours before we recorded one of our podcasts. Yeah, because I remember you guys talking about the phone call you guys shared, and it was a sad time. Very, yeah, right. it's a very, it's a very, very sad time. Yeah, what do, what do we do? I don't know. <laughs> let's go to let's go to a diner and get some disco fries. I, I mean, you know, what are you gonna do? You can't can't do, can't do anything. That's just them. Them's the breaks sometimes. I'm gonna have to explain disco fries to to our listeners who don't live in New Jersey, but maybe on another show. Yeah, definitely yeah. on another show. But I mean, it's you know. I mean, I mean, kind of getting back to the to the takeaway point. I mean, it's just that's hard, dude. That's and especially, I feel like it's it's obviously you know, or perhaps not obviously. It's it's easier, I feel like, to come back from something like that in a head to head league. But when it's when it's roto, you're just bleeding that all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think I think sadly this uh, maybe healthily for. For all of us, this this closes the book on on baseball prospectuses 2014 mixed labor team. Oh, um, oh. Wait, wait, wait! Before we do it, it, give me give me a title for how you would describe the experience. <laughs> do I have like, to? Like a yeah. like a headline? It could be a headline. It could be anything you want. Just a title, one sentence, quick one liner. Um. Cliff diving isn't all it's cracked up to be. <laughs> Solid. Um, Solid. <laughs> Solid. Descriptive. Kind how, about, of graphic. how about Jose Fernandez made me cry? <laughs> I'm just thinking, flat, you know, flatline. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. So it's a good thing. It's a good thing we don't have to come up with a title for that. <laughs> no, no, and I, I think Brett's right. I, I think you know, regardless of what configuration baseball prospectus is, 
you know, invited back to labor next year, we'll, we'll probably, when we talk about preparing next year, we'll just look forward. That's one of the nice things about a redraft. Absolutely. Um, so as we, as we close the books on that, is there, uh, is there anything else, Mikey, you want to cover that, that, uh, was particularly interesting down the stretch in, uh, in either of your other expert leagues? Well, you know, I, I'll just say for Tout Wars, uh, congratulations to, uh, to Tristan Cockroft of ESPN. Uh, he won by 14 and a half points, and he won his third consecutive title in NL Tout Wars. He, he is, you know, a, a masterful player, and he, he's really great at this game. Uh, I didn't do quite as well as I did in 2013 when I finished second to Tristan. I finished fifth this year. It just really basically the hitting was very good. The pitching sucked and I made it go from sucking to not quite sucking so much. So similar story, not not as many injuries, but particularly in only when your pitching auction doesn't work out, it's going to be really difficult to bounce back no matter what you do. Um, CBS, I finished third. Uh, That was a little disappointing because I was in first place as – I think early August, as late as early August, uh, but it just kind of didn't work out there for a number of reasons. Really, the most interesting thing there is the two teams that finished tied for first. The first play, one of those teams was six and a half points ahead going into the last day, and they wound up tied. I'm not going to go through the the machinations of how that happened. Uh, first of all, because it's not my team, so it's not quite as interesting to me. You know, let's be honest about that. Uh, but 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 second of all, it just would be too much to describe. But one of the things about that CBS league, and I think Steve alluded this, to this in our taped interview as well, it's really difficult to trade an expert league. So in a league like this, it just makes the standings much tighter than you'd see in a home league, particularly a, a keeper league where there's dumping and there's trades like that. But even in a, a keeper league or a non-keeper league that's a home league, you usually see more trading and so you kind of see more movement. I think everybody kind of plays it really tight to the vest, which is – why why things were so tight in the standings. Like from first to last in a 12-team NL only, it was a 31.5-point gap, which really, for a Roto League, really isn't a lot for a 5x5. Five five. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, it, is with, uh, it is with heavy hearts that we move on from the 2014 season. Now, uh, now we get to enjoy the... Uh, the postseason without any of the uh, weights of owning these players. So it's, uh, you know, obviously we, we talked about at the beginning of the show, the playoffs got off on uh, quite an exciting foot. And uh, I know it, uh, I plan on uh, watching a shitload of baseball this month. So um, we will uh, take a quick break and then we will uh, close things out. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening. We have been the Flags Fly Forever fantasy podcast team, sponsored by Baseball Prospectus. Changing it up a little bit. It's the, it's the off season now. We can get a little loose. Um, 
I have been your host, Brett Sayer, and uh, you have also been listening to Mike Janella and Mauricio Rubio. You can read all of us at baseballperspectus.com. You should be reading all of us at baseballperspectus.com. And if you go to baseballperspectus.com today and sign up for a premium membership, you will get a free e-copy of Dollar Sign on the Muscle, which if you have not read it, is uh, one of my favorite baseball books of all time. Um, you can uh, always reach us at Flags Fly Forever at BaseballPerspectives.com if you have suggestions for topics that you'd like us to hit during the offseason or uh, potential guests that you'd like us to uh, to book. We are we are a people of the people, so uh, so hit, hit us up with your with your suggestions. Um, other than that, we will. Uh, as we mentioned last time, we are on the, the every other week schedule now, so we will be back in two weeks with another podcast. And uh, now that we've moved on from uh, moved on from our labor team, we're we're gonna do a lot of uh, a lot of looking back at players and looking forward to the 2015 season. It's never too early to look forward to 2015. So. On that note, we will catch you in a couple of weeks and have a good night. Enjoy the uh, first couple rounds of the playoffs. Good night, everyone. I love you guys. Bye. Bye. (laughs) No, I think love you guys.